Look in John 3 today, one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible. And I want to read you several verses that the Lord's been working in my heart these last several days. I'm not used to Brother Reed being up here. I'm always used to seeing him back in the crow's nest. So I'll really do some preaching today. I've got him where I can see him. The Bible says in verse 1, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Father, it is a blessing. Lord, to be with our friends here today. Lord, I thank You for all they mean to us and all they do for You. And Lord, Your kingdom and Your work that's going on out of this place. And Lord, it's just good to read these verses again in John chapter 3. And Lord, I ask You to speak to hearts today, both of the unsaved and the saved. And Lord, today as we enter into this sermon, we know that without you, we can do nothing. I do plead and pray you'll help us here for a little while. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. John chapter 3, the disciples and the Lord are settling in for the night after a day of ministry. Can you kind of see them getting settled into the house. And then all at once, it's dark outside, getting to be bedtime. 
and they hear a knock at the door. Maybe Peter, being outspoken, says, Who could that be at this hour of the night? And I can see Jesus going over. I can almost hear the hinges squeak as He opens that door. And there stands a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus ought to mean a lot to us because of the conversation that Jesus had with him. We get some of the greatest salvation teaching in the whole Bible as they're in this conversation. Nicodemus, I love to study words and names. His name means a conqueror. So when Jesus opened that door, Brother Jimmy, there stood a conqueror. But you know, the Bible says we as believers, we're more than conquerors. Now you might be a conqueror this morning, but you've got to be more than a conqueror if you're going to go to heaven. Nicodemus, he had conquered poverty. He was very wealthy. Nicodemus had conquered this matter of illiteracy. He was very highly educated. And he had conquered the world's idea of depravity because he was a very religious man. But you could be rich and you could be religious and you could be educated and still be missing the most important thing in this world. Well, that's what compelled this man to come visit Jesus that night. Well, they got in a conversation. And you know the story. As you look in verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is listening to the Lord as he illustrates salvation with a birth. He said, it's like a birth, Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. But look at his response in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, how? How can a man be born when he's old? You see, Nicodemus is thinking, I'm a grown man. How in the world could I go back inside my mother and be born again? Well, Nicodemus don't get it. He don't understand what Jesus is saying. If you look in verse number 8, Jesus comes with another illustration. He says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Well, Nicodemus didn't get it the first time. Now the second time, Jesus comes back and says, Nicodemus, it's, it's kind of like the wind blowing. And I remember the day the Holy Spirit wind of God blew in my life. But Nicodemus' response to that, look in verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How? How can these things be? The first chance Jesus gave him, He said, how? The second chance Jesus gave him, He said, how? This educated, religious, and wealthy man just can't get it. He didn't get it the first chance. And he didn't get it the second chance. But this morning, I want to try to bring a little message on the third chance. I'm glad that God is not only the God of the first chance, the second chance, 
But aren't you glad He's the God of the third chance and sometimes more? Whoop, hallelujah, we ought to take a break and shout a while. If you look in verse 14, now here it is. Now Jesus told him about a birth, He told him about the wind, but now He's going to talk to him about something else. He says in verse 14, this is the third chance. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, this Jesus is taking Nicodemus back into his religious studies to Numbers chapter 21. Jesus is reminding Nicodemus of a story that he knows well because of his religious study. It's the story of what we call the brazen serpent. You see, what had happened, and Nicodemus knew it well, what had happened, the people of God had murmured and complained against God, Brother Reed, and, and God got fed up with them. And the Bible said He sent poisonous snakes, fiery serpents among the people. And the Bible said they began biting the people. Can you imagine? Let's think about it this way. What if you look down at that beautiful blue carpet here and it's covered now in poisonous snakes? Can you imagine the scream? Can you imagine the outcry? Can you imagine the terror? Well, that's what happened in Numbers chapter 21. The ground is covered in poison snakes. And these poison snakes are biting the people. And much people died according to Numbers chapter number 21. And there was a remedy. When the people started dying, they went to Moses and said, Moses, we're sorry. What are we going to do? These snakes are killing everybody. So Moses went to God and said, God, what can I do for the people? And God told Moses a very unusual thing. He said, Moses, I want you to get a pole. And I want you to fashion a snake, a serpent from brass. And I want you to put that brass snake on top of that pole. And when, when you get this all put together, I want you to go out among the people, then lift it up. And if anybody down there has been bitten and poisoned, if they'll just look to the serpent of brass on that pole, they can be saved, they can be healed, they can be cleansed of the poison. Boy, Nicodemus is taking all this in. Can you imagine his face as Jesus describes this? I can see Nicodemus nodding, yes, I understand, because after this episode, there's no more hows, because he got it on the third chance. Jesus said, now Nicodemus, you know that story, and Nicodemus does know that story. He said, but one day, Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up, just like that serpent was lifted up. And that's when He gave us those two powerful verses. Some of the most powerful, if not the most powerful verses in the Bible. In John 3, 15 and 16, that whosoever believeth in Him shall 
not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you imagine that day maybe a mother with a teenage son. That son's been snake bit. He's swelling. He's sweating. His temperature's out the top. He's laying on the ground, foaming at the mouth and convulsing. And his mama's watching him die. And she hears the news that if anybody will look, they can live. I can see her grabbing by the shoulders. Son, open your eyes. Son, open your eyes. There's hope if you'll just look. And I can see that boy with all the strength he has raising up those heavy eyelids. And I can see his eyes as they climb the body of Moses. As they climb that pole. And then his eyes fasten on that serpent. And all at once he stops trembling. And all at once he stops convulsing and shaking and the foam is gone. And his eyes are wide open and the temperature's gone. And the poison is cleared from his body. Whoop! All because he looked to that serpent on a pole. I remember on a Friday night when I was a boy, I knelt down in the sawdust. I cast my eyes upon the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He saved me that night. And I'll never ever forget it. You see, Nicodemus on the third chance, the third chance he got it. God may have spoke to some of you before. He may be speaking to you again. He may have been speaking to you more and more times. But I don't know when He's going to stop. You better move when God speaks to your heart. How many here didn't get saved the first time God spoke to you? Look at all them hands. How many of you didn't get saved the second time? See it, more hands. And I'm telling you, friend, aren't you glad He's the God of more chances? Aren't you glad? Listen, God could have... Slammed the door on Nicodemus after verse 3. Or he could have slammed the door on Nicodemus after verse 8. But thank God he did not. He told him about that serpent on the pole. And I'm so glad for that day when I saw my brazen serpent, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's no way Nicodemus could have comprehended all that was entailed with Jesus being on that cross. Let's hit the fast forward button. If our electronic man could, he would give us that little sound. Let's hit fast forward. Three years. What happens three years later? Well, Jesus is in a garden. So it's there He prayed with Peter, James, and John. And He prayed with such intensity and in such agony that His sweat became as great drops of blood. The agnostics don't believe that, but I'm a believer. I believe that. I believe it just like the Bible says it. And He sweat blood. It was, and others know, the medical field know, it's a, it's a phenomenon called hematidrosis. When the human body is under such pressure 
that you can literally sweat blood through your pores. Well, that's what was happening with Jesus. If you wonder what's the pressure about, why is He under so much pressure? There's no way humanly I can describe it, but let me try. Can I try to tell you the pressure He was under? It's estimated, Brother Jimmy, 7 billion people alive right now on this planet. What if every one of the 7 billion had committed one sin? Then that's 7 billion sins. So 7 billion sins we know are on Jesus. But that's not accurate. Because there's been a hundred billion estimated that have lived since the beginning of time. And think about all the hundred billion committing one sin. So Jesus is taking upon Himself a hundred billion sins? Well, not really. That's still not accurate. Because every man, every woman, boy and girl has committed multiple sins. Hundreds and thousands of sins. And there's no way we can even comprehend the weight of all that. And that's why He sweat blood. You know the story they came to get Him. I love it. They said, we seek Jesus. They didn't know if Peter or James or John or Jesus. They didn't know who was who. And Of course, Judas led him there. He betrayed him with a kiss. We know all that. And Jesus said, I am He. And when He did that, the best forces they had, the best soldiers they had, all fell backwards to the ground. It let them know, you're not taking this guy in unless He wants to go. Aren't you glad they didn't drag Him in? He went in by His own volition. We may have to take a break and shout sure enough. And I didn't know you was having the Lord's Supper. But I'm telling you, this goes right with it. And I want to say, I thank God. He sweat blood for me. He took upon Himself my sins and your sins and the sins of all mankind. Well, they led Him to Pilate's hall. It was there that He would face the flogging. When there was a notable prisoner, a well-known prisoner, they wanted to make an example out of, they would do this. Some cases they would bend them over a barrel for the whipping. But when they really wanted to make an example, they would tie his hands together and they would tie him to a pole up high. He would be stripped totally naked. His back, his buttocks, the back of his legs all facing those observing and those that would whip Him. If you could imagine Jesus standing there totally naked, tied with His hands above His head. Then comes out the torture experts. They're called lictors. That's where we get the term licks. Lictors. They were Roman specialists in inflicting pain. He gave me a replica a few years ago. I still got it and still show it. I don't have it with me today. But there was a whip called the flagellum. A short whip about this long. It was short, not like the cat of nine tails, although it had nine strands. But it was short, Brother Jimmy, because these men had to get right on top 
of the one they're beating. It was not that they could whip him long distance. No, they were right on top of him. And when you had a notable prisoner, one they want to make an example out of like Jesus, they'd bring out a left-handed lictor and a right-handed lictor. And with almost a demonic rhythm, they would begin to beat that prisoner like the beating of a drum. It was a bloodbath. Those soldiers would leave covered in blood, flesh and tissue over their whole bodies from the one they were beating. And can I stop here just for a moment? If you ever feel like nobody loves you, if you ever feel like nobody cares, just remember, He was willing to be tied to that post and beaten mercilessly by these lictors. I can see Him as they beat Him and beat Him and beat Him. That marble floor is covered in blood and tissue and flesh and water. My, what a sight that must have been. And I can see Him as they take Him down from that post. In mockery, they wrap Him in a scarlet robe. In mockery, they put a crown of thorns on His head. Can you imagine eight inch razor sharp thorns down on the brow of Jesus? Can you see the blood just going in His eyes and coming down His face? I can see Him as they put a reed in His hand to represent a king's scepter. And they come by and mock Him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. At one point during their mockery and during their fun, they put a blindfold on Him. They'd come by and hit Him in the face. And they'd say, Hey, who smote you? Won't you tell us? You see, the blindfold didn't stop Jesus from knowing who smote Him. What a sight. What a sight that must have been. As they're finishing their mockery, you don't have to think much to know what's happening to that scarlet robe. The red robe's getting redder. The red robe is getting redder and redder. That robe is descending into those wounds and drying in those wounds. And here they come and they just rip that scarlet robe off His body, opening all those wounds back up again. It was then they led Him away. They led Him to Calvary. John the Beloved saw Him bearing His own cross. I just believe that. He did bear His own cross. Simon of Cyrene may have helped Him, but He bore His cross. It was a 600-yard trip. It was the distance of six football fields. As He made His way to Calvary, the Via Della Rosa, my, what a trail of blood it was. And when Jesus got to the top of Calvary, Mount Moriah, it's there that they laid the cross on the ground. Now these men were experts in crucifixion. These men knew how to put a man on the cross and they knew how to fight him down. But for the first time ever, they didn't have to fight him down. He just straddled that cross, sit on that cross, Laid back on that cross, he put up no fight. As a sheep before his shears was done, he opened not his mouth. I'm telling you, they didn't fight Jesus down. He gave his life freely. 
you'll get real still, you can almost hear as they drive the nails in His feet and in His hands. Imagine as they get Him all nailed in place. He's a bloody, bloody man. He is a ripped to shreds man from that beating at Pilate's Hall. And now they lift Him up. You folks on the farm know what it's like to lift up a post and it fall in the hole you've dug. Can you imagine when they lifted up that 15 foot cross and there it falls into that hole. Can you imagine what that did to the body of Jesus that's already ripped to shreds? I could say much more. I could talk about His seven sayings from the cross, but at the end of the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Into Thy hands I commend my spirit, and having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Can you imagine for the first time in all of humanity, Jesus is dead. His lifeless body hanging on that cross. Let's hit reverse now three years. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? He said, Nick, the way that Moses lifted up that serpent, that's the way they're going to lift me up. Well, it came to pass, just like Jesus said. He was on a pole. He was on a cross. He was lifted up. There's no way, Reed, Nicodemus could have known this. Because when Jesus died, Nicodemus and one of his friends, Joseph of Amarathia, another rich man, another man who was saved under the ministry of Jesus, they went to Pilate to beg his body. They wanted to take down His body. And I can imagine as the lifeless Jesus is hanging on that cross and and the people are going, I see a cloud of dust coming over the hill. The finest chariots, the finest horses known to man. Aboard is Nicodemus and Joseph of Amarathia. They've come to get His body. If you'll think about the life of Christ, During His ministry, He always hanged around poor people and outcasts and outlaws like us. Ain't that right? But when He died, the Father said, that's enough of that. I'm sending the rich to go get my boy. I'm sending the wealthy to go get my boy and to take him off that cross. Can you imagine two well-dressed, refined, business-type men, religious men, as they get to that bloody scene, Joseph, can you see him climbing up one side of that cross? Nicodemus, can you see him climbing up the other side of that cross? Now they're covered in blood. I can see Joseph say, Hey, Nicodemus, you just wait a minute, let me get his left hand disattached. Can you see him working his hand loose? And then that arm, bloody arm, fall across his body. I got him, Nick. You can take the right hand loose. I can see with tears in his eyes as Nicodemus is trying to get that hand loose. How many of you say, man, what a sight that must have been. Then I see that dead arm fall across his body. I can hear Joseph say, okay, Nicodemus, let's go down slowly. And as they begin to go down, his body is... And laying on top of the 
feet and the weight of the body of Jesus is on their backs. And they start disattaching His feet and they get Him free from that cross. They have with them grave clothes to wrap Him in. But before they wrap Him in grave clothes, Nicodemus has brought some myrrh and aloes. According to the Bible, it was a hundred pounds. You know how much it took to anoint one dead body? One pound. Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds. In our economy today, he brought a gift at the death of Jesus, aloe and myrrhs, that would have been valued in our economy $250,000. He brought a quarter million dollars and anointed the body. You're talking about a man that loved the Lord. A man not afraid and ashamed to give. Well, you know the story when they got him all anointed. Woo, they wrapped him in them grave clothes. And they make their way to Joseph's tomb. It was his own tomb. And they placed the body of Jesus in that borrowed tomb of Joseph. And they rolled the stone away. It looks like everything's lost now. It looks like the battle is over and God's people have lost. But aren't you glad on resurrection morning, by His own power, by His own power He laid down His life. By His own power, He took it up again. And He got up in that grave, Brother Reed, and I can see Him unwrapping Himself. And I can see Him stand to His feet alive, the Lamb of God. He came out of that tomb, ladies and gentlemen, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He is the only person that ever raised from the dead that did not eventually die again. He got up that morning and friends, He's alive and He's alive forevermore. Let's give Him a hand clap. He's worthy. You know the story, they rolled the stone away. Don't you ever one minute think they rolled the stone away to let Jesus out. He was already out. You say, how could He come through a sealed tomb? Well, when he was born, he came through a sealed womb. Amen. After his resurrection, the disciples were gathered all sad and sorrowful, and he came through a sealed room. So going through a sealed tomb was no big deal for Jesus. Friend, if you're not saved, this is your chance. Nicodemus' third chance is what it took. If you're not saved today, Jesus went through all that pain, all that sorrow, and all that suffering. He got up on resurrection morning all because He loved you, all because He loved me. Reverse again, go back to that night. Jesus said, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent, that's the way I'm going to be lifted up. Fast forward three years now back at the cross. No way Nicodemus could have known that he would be one of those that would be called upon to take down his body. Friends, the Bible's a wonderful book. There's nothing like the Word of God. And nobody, as the songwriter said, no one 
ever cared for me like Jesus. As we stand all over the house,